involves a strong, uncomfortable, and emotional response to a perceived provocation. Some people have broken anger down into different modalities. There's the cognitive, that's like appraisals of what's going on. There's the somatic part, our body, the tension that we feel, the agitation. And then there's the behavioral, what we do. Anger's also been described as a pressure cooker. We all have known that, don't we? We can feel pressure against our, ourselves with this something that's building up until sometimes it explodes. Anger can have a physical correlate, often does, such as increased heart rate, blood pressure, lots of adrenaline, and what's called noradrenaline. Some psychologists you know, view anger as part of the fight-or-flight brain response to the perceived threat of harm. You've all heard that fight-or-flight. You know, that, that goes back to we're out in the woods and you see a bear and you have to decide, do you fight or do you flight? Well, obviously, if it's a bear, you run like all get-out. But suppose it's a person. What do you do? Anger can become the, a predominant feelings, therefore, in our behavior, in, in our cognition, in our brain, in our physiology. When we make a, a, a conscious choice to stop the threat of another outside force. Yes, the, the external expression of anger can be found in our facial expressions. We're all, we, we look at each other, right? Our body language our physiological response, and sometimes in our public acts of aggression. Uh, humans, both humans and animals, uh, make loud sounds. We've all heard those. Sometimes animals attempt to look physically larger. You've seen a cat do that, right? They put their back way up in the, in the air. It's, they're making themselves look like larger animals. Sometimes animals bare their teeth, so do humans. Sometimes we stare. These behaviors are attempts to warn aggressors to stop their behavior. And rarely does a, a physical altercation occur without some prior expression of anger by at least one of the participants. Well, modern psychologists view anger as primary, as natural and mature, as part of our condition. But then there's uncontrolled anger. That's part of what our topic is going to be about today with Dr. Kevin Photo in his book, Diffusing Angry People, offering us practical tools for handling bullying, threats, and violence. Dr. Photo has worked for over two decades in the psychotherapeutic and social service fields with clients having major anger issues. Dr. Photo studied at Fairfield University, at Yale University in Connecticut, at the Gregorian University in Rome, and the Graduate Theological Union in conjunction with the University of California, Berkeley. It was at Cal that he earned his PhD. Dr. Photo has contributed to numerous psychology and, and religion journals, and he's the author of Recovery of Self. Presently, he's the program and clinical director for a social service program in San Francisco, California. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Dr. Kevin Photo. Thank you very much. Great to have you back. I appreciate being back. The topic of bullying is a, is a national topic now. You know that. Sure. I know that. And 
what's going on, I ask myself, that bullying is a topic in the United States. And sometimes when I think about the microcosm and the macrocosm, and we're looking at bullying in schools, we're looking at bullying around in, in college, in high school, in grammar school, amongst our children, I wonder if it's somehow connected to the place that the United States has taken on the world scene. For example, the United States historically has not taken on Russia. It has not taken on China, these other very large countries, if not empires. We have taken historically uh, a, a position with much smaller countries. One could look at that and say that's a form of bullying, although we do it in the name of democracy. We are self-acclaimed revolutionaries. Our revolution is arguably the most important that's ever gone on in the history of the recorded history of humankind, and we're proud of it. And so are we, are we demonstrating bullying in our political action, and that's what's causing bullying in the children and the bullying that we're concerned about, or is there something else going on? How do you see this, Kevin? I had no idea you were going to bring this conversation right up front into a political arena, which is fascinating because, coincidentally, after the interview today, I'm on my way to the Middle East. Um, I'm going to Jordan, and after the killing of bin Laden, I expect some serious uh, issues that will be coming up in Jordan. Al-Qaeda has threatened to uh, retaliate for the killing, and there's going to be a lot of anger in places like Jordan. Uh, people are going to be angry about the killing of bin Laden. And so I'm going with a certain amount of trepidation, uh, knowing that I'm probably going to encounter that. And that brings up exactly what you were talking about, is that America's approach to dealing with things in sort of a bullying way, and how do they respond, how do we respond to them? Uh, because how am I going to respond when someone comes up to me as a Westerner when I'm in Jordan, and he or she, but particularly he in, in Jordan, will be in my face yelling at me, maybe threatening me for representing what he sees America having just done to bin Laden. So that's going to be quite a challenge uh, coming up with that. So you, you anticipate that you're going to be encountering direct anger coming at you personally and some of that anger coming at you is going to be an accusation that you are part of the bully gang. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Which, of course, flips the whole thing, because I've been talking about how we deal with people's anger, but now they're going to be seeing me as the bully. So how am I going to respond to someone's anger directed at me for being the bully, for being the angry person imposing, from their perspective, imposing my ways on them, and ultimately killing one of their leaders, uh, no matter how we you know, perceive the leader, they perceive it as us having killed their leader. So there's going to be a lot of anger, and you know, there's the potential for violence. And how am I going to deal with that? You know, here's someone, myself, who has dealt with a lot of anger, has dealt with violence. I've dealt with people who have had guns and therapy and threatening me with guns. How am I going to deal with this very, very intense anger immediately after... Uh, the killing of bin Laden. So I, I anticipate a very challenging experience dealing with their perspective of me as the ultimate bully. 
So you're going to have, what, what an opportunity here. I mean, you're going to Jordan right after this major event. Right. And uh, I, I imagine this was scheduled way in advance. It happens yes. to be a coincidence. It's a coincidence. It happened even before all the uprisings, the spring uprisings in the Middle East and Africa. So uh, it was done six months ago. And you're going to have an opportunity to practice your tools? Exactly. For dealing with possible yeah. threats and violence coming right at you? Yeah, I think it's going to become very, very personal and practical. We'll see how I deal with it. Wow. Are you going as part of a group, or are you going alone? What's your circumstance? Uh, just going on my own, just going to try. I enjoy traveling. Uh, coincidentally, I was in Cairo a couple years ago when uh, the photos were released of how the prisoners were being treated in a, the Iraq prison, so I'm there one day, and the, the newspapers all over the city uh, and the newsstands all have the pictures of these uh, Iraqi prisoners being maltreated by the American soldiers. And you could feel the anger in the, in the Egyptians, the anger at the Americans, at Westerners, for how they, us, humiliated these, these men, these Muslims. Uh, and I could feel that. So I was dealing with the anger then of people when they would say, where are you from? I'd say I was from the United States. And they were angry about that. How dare we, and here I am representing America in that way, how dare we treat their people this way? There's war, there's problems, but why would we humiliate people? Why would we uh, transgress their customs? Uh, so there was a lot of anger. So I was dealing with their anger then, and now several years later, <laughs> coincidentally going right back into the thick of it again with the anger about bin Laden. In your book... One of the things you say early on in the book is that calm is not doing nothing. Could you talk something about that, what you mean when you say staying calm in response to the angry person is not the same as doing nothing, that it's not a magical mental state in, in, entered by tuning out? Right, that's, that's critical. And you mentioned the fight-flight syndrome. That's, that's such a part of it. There's, there's, you could have a fight, flight, and then you can even add on a third F, which is freeze. Freeze is pretty much doing nothing. Uh, you mentioned a bear. If you're attacked by a bear in the woods, you're, you're not going to fight it. You're going to run. Well, calm is so critical because calm will actually tell you. I lived in Alaska for a while. In Alaska, they tell you you also don't run from a bear because a bear will chase you and is faster than you and will catch up with you and kill you. So instead, a calm state is to stop before you act. It's to reflect, think, make a, an informed decision before you do something. So the same with anger. When we deal with angry people, the fight-flight syndrome immediately goes into play inside us. And we, what my experience is, I, I've supervised uh, interns and social workers and psychologists. When they deal with anger and in our day-to-day -day lives when we deal with anger, people generally respond out of that fight-flight. They respond by becoming defensive, because who likes to be yelled at? Uh, a, a store clerk does not want to be called some terrible name because he or she didn't get the food fast enough or didn't get the product fast enough. No one likes to be yelled at, so we go into this response. We respond in a fight way or a flight way. Or freeze. The, or the freeze. And the freeze is, is, seems to be calm. And I've seen many people use the freeze, the calm, as a pretense for saying, oh, I'm just staying calm. When, if you look at the situation, oftentimes what it does is it, it exacerbates the situation. The person who's yelling at you expects a response. And if you just stand there and you don't do anything under the pretense of, oh, I'm not going to get into it, that person gets angrier. 
because he or she expects at least something. Now, whether it's a fight or flight, they expect something. So that kind of calm is, uh, who was it, um, who said that war is not the absence uh, or peace is not the absence of war, that peace is a positive state. It's a creative, dynamic state. It's not just the absence of conflict. So the same with calm. Calm has to be an attentiveness. It has to be not just doing nothing, but listening, empathy. All these qualities come into play when you're trying to defuse someone. So if someone gets angry at you, instead of staying calm and doing nothing, you stay calm in order to listen, because if your mind is already rattling off, oh, what am I going to say to this person? If you're becoming defensive of that no one's going to talk to me that way kind of response, then you're not listening. So staying calm helps you to focus on what's going on. It helps you to listen to the person's anger in order then to be able to more clearly respond to the person's anger. It allows you to then empathize with the person. You might disagree with the person. You might say, geez, this person's overreacting. He's treating me uh, disrespectfully all of those things, but you'll still respond with a certain amount of calm that allows you to say, hey, if it were me, I would be angry too. You know, if I didn't get this or whatever the situation was, I'd be angry. So empathy comes into play, and it comes out of your calmness, because your calmness allows you to step back from your, your wanting to fight. It also steps back from your wanting to flee, to run away, and as well as to freeze. So now you can respond by listening, empathy, understanding, and once you respond that way, then maybe have some good goals as to help that person deal with his or her anger instead of expressing it in a vicious, violent, mean, or bullying way. So that's where calm comes into a, a creative, dynamic state instead of just a, a passive, uh, do-nothing state. You know, I'm wondering whether some people are listening to this and they're saying, what, is the, what are these two psychologists talking about being empathetic to somebody who's in their face angry? Why do I want to you know, be understanding and empathetic to somebody who, who's, who's yelling at me and calling me names because I'm an American? What, what's in it for me to be that so understanding and empathetic to them? And, and what are these guys, saints? I mean, how, how, how do you stay empathetic and, and, and interested in what the other person has to say when really what they're doing is yelling and it looks like they're about to throw a punch? Yeah, that, that's such a critical question to dealing with people's anger. And it's exactly the empathy that allows you to prevent it from escalating. If, you're, if you were a cop or, let's say, a, a police officer or a, a bouncer at a bar and you're some big person who can just stop someone because you have a badge, you have a gun, you have authority, well, then you're going to end it. But if you're a person who's dealing with some angry person, if you respond in an equally angry way, in a way that says, you're not going to talk to me that way, chances are all you're going to do is escalate the situation. You're going to make that person angrier. You're not going to diffuse the situation. So empathy then allows you to understand, to feel that, okay, that person's disrespectful. I'm going to let him or her know that it's disrespectful, but I'm going to do it in a way that lets that person know I also understand. I understand he or she has something that's making them angry, that there's some emotional state that that person's in that needs to be addressed, as opposed to my simply saying, hey, don't talk to me that way. So if I understand you, what you're saying is that the use of empathy is a practical tool in order to de-escalate and protect oneself, we're not using empathy here as a way to shrink the head of the person who's attacking us or to make them feel good, 
but it's it's all it's a way to cool down the entire situation and protect ourselves from getting into an escalation is that correct absolutely it, it has a, a dual dynamic it allows you to keep things cool and by staying cool it allows you then to have greater understanding so instead of your flight syndrome where you run away and you act irrationally you instead stay cool keep the situation cool and now you can respond with cool thinking with rational thinking instead of uh, as i mentioned earlier in response to your thought about the bear instead of running if you stay calm for that second you'll say to yourself okay if i run the bear is going to chase after me so you've escalated the situation however if you say all right i'm calm how am I going to deal with this? Oh, I remember being taught that I'm supposed to roll up into a ball. Well, you're not going to do that instinctually, but if you stay calm, you might realize that's the best way to save yourself in that situation. So therefore, you have some insight into the situation that you wouldn't have if you fled. For example, recently I was with uh, my girlfriend. I, we went out to the, the theater, and when she first saw me, I said hello, and we sat in the theater, and she was a bit angry, and I didn't know why she was angry. I thought uh, she w- we were doing taxes. She was under a lot of stress. So I said, was it because of that? And she said, yes, and, but she was still angry. And what I didn't know, and I was listening to her. She knew I was listening because that's the first thing to do is to listen. And she still was angry, though. I found out later that she was angry because she felt I wasn't being responsive to her when I met her. So she had a deeper source of anger that I didn't hear when I thought it was just because she was under stress from all the taxes she was trying to get done before the, the deadline. So because I didn't stop and, and listen to her deeper, that I didn't hear that she wasn't angry just because of the taxes, but because she felt I wasn't uh, being warm with her and responsive to her when I first saw her. As a result, what happened is she got angrier at me because I didn't respond to that. And, that, and then I got a bit angry myself, because why is she being angry at me? I, I'm, I listened to her. I was responsive to her being stressed out due to the taxes, but I didn't hear on the deeper level that she was upset with me because she didn't feel I was being warm and caring. So as a result, it cycled out. It, it went into this escalated state where she got angrier. She, it even turned, and this is where I deal with the book, is that anger that starts off first as frustration and then becomes defensive. For her, it was defensive because she didn't feel I heard on a deeper level what her anger was about. And because I didn't respond to that, it turned, it escalated into a deeper anger of hostility where she was being mean here and there, all because my first response was not to just sit and say, hey, what's going on? to hear her. And out of that, I would have heard there was deeper anger instead of just the anger about the frustration from the taxes. In, in the example you're giving with yourself and your girlfriend, isn't the source of her anger actually that her feelings were hurt based on how you uh, said hello or related exactly. to her? That's exactly the point. And I didn't know that. Because, and and, the and she, is, she, evidently she didn't know her feelings were hurt either because she jumped from hurt feelings such as Gee, Kevin, you know, you hurt my feelings the way you said hello to me. I was hoping for a warmer. She jumped from the hurt feelings directly to anger. And, and that's exactly right, because you could use the phrase, uh, it's better to be mad than sad. Rather, for someone like her... And better so to many be mad than way. sad. Right. It's easier and, and less painful to be angry than it is to acknowledge one's sad feelings. So in that moment, she was sad because she didn't feel... I was being warm and responsive. So instead of having to say, oh, man, I'm sad, I feel hurt, he hurt me unintentionally, but he hurt me, instead of having to deal with that hurt, I'll get angry. 
So one, one of the tools here then, is it not, is that for us to each look at when we're starting to get angry or irritated and then angry, for us to look at whether it's possible that we're really hurt is that correct? Absolutely. To be looking at right. the hurt. I mean, an example, Kevin, is over this weekend, you know, a patient of mine came to me and said, I'm crying and said, I am really sad. I feel so sad. I feel so sad. And I said, that's great. And she looked at me and she said, what? I said, that's wonderful that you're feeling so sad. And she said, what are you talking about? I feel sad and miserable. Why are you saying it's great? And I said, because you're, you're letting yourself feel your feelings, which for years you've been taking drugs and alcohol not to have. So now you're finally having the, your, your real humanity. And, and by having her feelings, I, I thought she, she was getting in touch with herself and hopefully also then not turning that, that, that sadness and hurt into anger, which Absolutely. is so prevalent. Yep. Yeah, and that's good. And I'm sure, I assume at least, that that came after quite a bit of time of working with her therapeutically, because let's say she wasn't ready yet to deal with those hurt feelings, and as a result, she was expressing those hurt feelings in anger. Therapy allows her with time, of course, in the classic transference, to start uh, expressing her anger towards you until she feels comfortable enough. When you don't respond to her anger with your own anger, then she realizes, oh, he can accept my anger, he can accept me, Therefore, I can actually start dealing with me, with those real sad feelings. And that's the therapeutic process that you allowed her to go from anger into the sadness, and now she can deal with sadness where previously she could only maybe express it through anger. So, so is, is a great deal of what's being called bullying, whether take it off the, the political arena that I started with sure. and bring it back to the personal uh, you know, pushing and shoving, calling people names, your hair, your pimples, your, 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 you know, the spots on your face, you know, making fun of people or pushing them off the road, all that stuff. From your perspective and studying that this, you know, for decades, is that, are we talking about a lot of people running around with tons of pain inside and they're expressing it through bullying or are there other factors as well? Please elaborate on that for us. Well, I think, you know, especially with all the bullying that's been going on and you're hearing a lot of reports about it, people tend, in my mind, to uh, say it's just one way of being. It's these, these kids who were hurt uh, somewhere in childhood and now they're acting it out. Certainly that can be one expression of bullying, but I think there's, there's various manifestations of why someone's bullied. Someone could be bullying exactly out of that. They were hurt and now they pick on someone smaller than them. Uh, Bullying can also just come out of a simple fact that that's how they learned how to handle life's uh, challenges, aggressions. They learned to be aggressive. They learned that by being mean to you, you're not going to be mean to them. They learned in life that life is a mean place. Life is a difficult place, and the only way to survive is to knock someone down before they knock you down. So, so that, I mean, immediately when you say that, Kevin, I, I, I can't help thinking about the politic, because for eight years we had a president who kept saying, the world is a dangerous place, the world is a dangerous place. And I found myself thinking, you know, if you were eight years old when that Bush came into power, and he stayed for eight years, you're now 16 years of age, and for eight years you've heard the president of the United States say the world is a dangerous place. Does that not lead to then walking around bullying and getting your way through power? Oh, sure. Absolutely. We're learning to internalize that the larger concept of this is how you manage life. You manage life by 
by bullying, by being dominant, by being aggressive. And if you have to, you know, from some of our perspectives, you manufacture a, a reality to justify what you're doing, obviously talking about Iraq and manufacturing reasons to go in there, um, again, from my perspective and others' perspectives. But that teaches us then to do that in life on the, on the personal level, on the practical level, that we do go through and we bully or we find reasons to bully. So we might, it's not just the obvious bully, it's not just the schoolyard bully who's beating up kids for their lunch money, it's learning in life in general for many people that to be more aggressive is to get ahead, to have, and then to have reasons for it, you know, to justify one's behavior as the, the government has done in terms of these wars, uh, having a convenient reason to go in with the, the big stick and dominate. And we learn that psychologically, as you're saying, by having that as a role model. So people are listening to this program and they've got kids in school and the, their kid is not the biggest kid in the class and, and, and he doesn't, uh, hasn't already taken martial arts by the time he's 11 years old. And they're thinking, all right, so I'm living in this kind of world. What should I tell my kid to do? What, what, how, how do they stay calm in the face of this kind of stuff? Yeah, I, there's a couple answers to that. One is the personal, one is the, a larger issue, a societal issue. I I find it hard to um, to accept that classrooms don't teach this, that classrooms don't teach about bullying. The state of California is trying to legislate that it's important to teach about bullying. Uh, Obama addressed this a little while ago, that he was bullied as a child, that on that larger societal level, I really think schools should be teaching, should be addressing these issues and how to deal with them, how to help kids learn to deal with other more aggressive people and how to help aggressive people learn to be more able to handle things in a less aggressive way. Uh, So I think on a societal level that has to happen. But on a personal level, yes, parents, what a challenge to have a a child come home and say that he or she was picked on or was pushed or was knocked over or lost their lunch money because they were told they were going to be hurt. That's a huge challenge, absolutely huge challenge. And that's where, in my work, I deal with it on a level of hostility, that uh, through the stages, beginning with uh, frustration and to defensive anger, now we're dealing with a, a different, more intense level of anger, which is hostility, where it's no longer just, as I was mentioning with my girlfriend, she was expressing her pain, her hurt for my uh, not being attentive. That's a, a deep level angle, but a more of anger, a more intense level is when you get into the bullying. The bullying is expressing a personal anger at you. He or she is is intimidating. They're hostile. They're going to make you feel their anger in a way that the defensive anger isn't being expressed. The the bully says, I am going to hurt you, Uh, and it's about you. It's not just, I've been hurt, which again goes back to bullies come out of their own hurt, and now they're expressing their own hurt. It's, it's a very hostile message. So it's a question of how do we deal with that hostility, which goes right back to the original thing of uh, our discussion is when I'm in Jordan, how am I going to deal with their anger? Because their anger isn't about being emotionally hurt. You know, their anger is a very, from their perspective, a very legitimate anger, a hostility towards this big bully. Uh, and again, we as Americans don't agree with that. We feel what happened was necessary and, and the uh, attempt to end Al-Qaeda and all of that. But from their perspective, we were the bullies. 
And so they're, they're hostile towards us. So bring it back to the personal level. How do we deal with that hostile person? How am I going to deal with that hostile person? How does a parent teach his or her child how to deal with the hostile bully in the schoolyard? So here you are in Jordan now, Kevin, and, I, and, and I'm a Jordanian, and, and you're sitting and having a cup of coffee in an open plaza, and I come over to you, and, and you're sitting there, and I walk over, and I say, you look like an American, and you just killed uh, Obama's uh, uh, bin Laden, uh, and, and, and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, 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 you know, and I'm heating up. What, do you, what are you going to do? What's Probably your... first thing is yes. I'm going to say I'm a Canadian. That might be the easiest response. <laughs> Are you a Canadian? <laughs> no, but that would get me out of a potentially uh, volatile situation. <laughs> Very cute. Yeah. So, but no, I, I wouldn't do that. But it is, it is tempting. Now, actually, I say I wouldn't do it. If, when anger escalates to the point of violence, and it does very often, as we've seen so many times in this country and everywhere, when it does, uh, that answer is actually a correct answer. When it reaches the point of violence, you need to do what you need to do to protect yourself from harm. So if I felt that I'm somewhere in Amman, Jordan, uh, and I'm in a potentially dangerous situation, which is very possible, and that I could be the victim of violence, of a kidnapping, of whatever it might be, I would not hesitate to say, whoa, 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 why are you doing this? I'm a Canadian. Um, I would, you need to do what you need to do to escape violence when anger reaches that ultimate state. So if I'm with someone, as your example, this Jordanian who is yelling and screaming, and I think that no matter what I say, he, first of all, hopefully there's some English that's capable of being spoken since I don't speak Arabic, but if I think that, uh, my, my first response is to listen. In it, to answer your question. You're going to listen. You're watching this guy. Right. His face is flushed. Oh, yeah. You know, you yeah. can, he's st- he looks like he's, he, he's stomping his feet. He, he's agitated. You, you're watching his jaw. You can see the lines in his Absolutely. jaw. You're, you're a professional observer. Yep. You're watching his hands. He looks like he's starting to clench his fist, and he's, and he's raising his voice. Oh, yeah, and I can see that. And so the first thing I do is listen, because he needs to express his anger. If I stop that, as I mentioned earlier, and said, hey, don't talk to me that way, that's obviously just going to escalate it. He's going to come over the top. Absolutely. So the first thing is I have to listen. I, and, and I don't, and the critical part, or one of the critical aspects of listening, is not to intervene, not to say anything, not to provide excuses. Because when he's expressing his anger, if I say, oh, hey, of course, that was terrible, you know, but here's what happened. There was 9-11, and this is why he doesn't want to hear excuses. Now, we see that as the reason for what America did, but he only hears that as an excuse to cover up our being a bully. So that's not going to de-escalate his anger, because in his angry state, anger at that state is fairly irrational. It's just a lot of rage. If I try to explain something rationally, well, America did this because 9-11, and as a result, there had to be a a pursuit of the, the mastermind and et cetera, et cetera, He's not going to hear that. No. Not at all. So the first thing is to listen without explanation. Just listen. Let him know that, yes, I do hear him. Are you going to maintain eye contact? Well, that's, that's interesting, too, because you have cultural uh, differences. Does, in the Arab world, there's more direct eye contact. So I would maintain eye contact. The important thing, though, with eye contact is it's not a steady staring because that will be interpreted as an aggressive response, as a belligerent response, as a, I dare you to keep yelling at me as I stare at him as he stares at me, but rather a steady, non-confrontational eye contact. So, you know, 
looking at him, averting, looking, so he doesn't feel that I'm I'm in an aggressive mode with him. Because that would be the the fight response. Yes. My fight response to him is just going to escalate his uh, aggressive yelling at me. Are you going to make a concerned look on your face? Of course. That will be my response. And after he is he vents, he gets out his anger, then my response is, after listening, is to say, of course I understand. You know, this is someone that, uh, from your perspective, someone that you've held up as a leader of, of your people, and I understand why you're angry. You know, I come from a different background, I come from a different place, but of course I can see that you're angry, and of course I understand that you're angry. We're in a different place on this, but I do understand your anger. Are you going to acknowledge, you're going to acknowledge his anger? Yeah, I you are going to acknowledge that it. That does not mean, though, which is critical, it does not mean I agree with what he's angry about. But I will acknowledge that he is angry. Of course you're angry. Jeez, yeah. You know, if I was living here and uh, I come from your background and your experience, of course I'd be angry, too. Are you going to look around and see if there's a, a, a way you can escape if you have to? Okay, that, that's a very good question, too. I've, I've been doing uh, work with clients in, in office settings most of the time. Um, and then, of course, with my book, I, I didn't want it to just be a clinical work. I wanted to expand it so that it wasn't just an office setting or a hospital setting, but in our day-to-day actions with angry people. But in an office setting, first thing you do, and you can extrapolate from that in any setting, is you should look around. When anger reaches a point where, for instance, when I'm listening to him and the listening doesn't do anything, and then I empathize, the empathy doesn't do anything, his anger is escalating and escalating. That tells me it's not just frustration. It's not just defensive. He's hostile. It's turning into threats then I need to recognize that it's no longer about listening and empathy. It's now reaching a point I have to be safe. I have to be secure. So the first thing I, first thing, one of the things I need to do initially is to look around, see where I am in an office situation where I'm with a client. I need to make sure, for instance, classic examples, that my back is not uh, to a wall where I'm blocked off from an exit. I need to have the ability to egress, to get out of there, if he becomes violent, I need to look around and see what objects are available that he could use uh, on my desk, for instance, to, to hurt me with. Uh, I need to see what I could use to protect myself if he does become violent. That's not to say he or she is going to become violent, but I need to prepare myself in case. So the same thing in Jordan. If I see that my listening, my empathy, my trying to understand, all those things are going nowhere, I should at that point be looking around saying, what am I going to do if he then tries to do something. Uh, Al-Qaeda is threatening right now reprisals on a large scale, but also on a small scale. So let's say he's Al-Qaeda or he's sympathetic. I need to know because uh, what I'm going to do, because he could turn violent. This could be uh, one of those moments. So how am I going to protect myself? I need to be aware of that. So yes, definitely I should look around and see what's, what's available for me to protect myself. I've read books and I've seen uh, movies of uh, of some of the uh, the greatest uh, uh, pistol shooters in our country, perhaps in the world, uh, the fastest and most accurate accurate uh, pistols, uh, defensive pistol shooters, and one of the things they all seem to agree upon is as if there's a possibility of a confrontation, if you can possibly run, that's the best thing you can do. That's what these these experts are saying. Expert marksmen, and you know they're they're both fast and accurate. They if you can possibly get out of it and run, do. Do you agree with that? Well, you got to be careful there because running can make you very vulnerable. So you want to keep that in mind. Also, 
Well, I think that they don't mean running and getting shot in the back. They right. mean if you can safely get out of the situation. Yeah, if you can safely get out, absolutely. One of the problems with that in terms of uh, uh, being in an office or an emergency room, wherever it might be, right. you also don't want to subject other people to the possibility of being hurt because you fled the situation. Because you abdicated responsibility. Exactly. So you want to keep that in mind. That doesn't mean you stay in a situation where you might get hurt, but you want to factor that in also. Should, should, uh, should parents be teaching their kids that when possible, safely to run, just run and don't deal with it, just get out of there? Uh, I think... That should be the, the culmination of a process, not the beginning process. You don't want to teach a, uh, a kid to be weak and passive either. You want them to be able to stand up for themselves, to be strong, to be independent, all kinds of uh, very positive qualities. If you teach a kid to immediately run from every conflict, that's not healthy either. But you do want to teach the, the child, the, the teenager, whatever, that at some point if you are imminently in danger, Yes, you are much better fleeing the situation than you are engaging the situation. You know, it's the classic line from the samurai that the true samurai never pulls his sword. You know, he can de-escalate, he can defuse the situation without having to engage in actual combat. So if you could teach your child to deal with the situation by standing up, by being confident, by learning how to try to de-escalate the bully, the, the person who's aggressive, then do that. And then if that doesn't work, like I'm saying with the, uh, the possible Jordanian, then know that you are much better off fleeing than trying to fight. Hey, I'm going to tell you a cute story. I have a cousin who is a, a sculptor, and he sculpts very delicate, very, very delicate uh, objects, and they're very beautiful and very fragile. He's also about 290 pounds, and at one point in his career, working his way through college, he was a bouncer. And so I asked him one day, I said, tell me, what, how did you, what kind of approach did you use? You know, I've, I've never interviewed a bouncer before, and I'd like to ask you some questions. How did, what did you do when people were, were, uh, were carrying on or getting drunk and, and, and doing things and, you know, getting aggressive? And he said, well, he said, I'd walk over to them, and in a very low voice and very directly, I'd say to them, you know, if things continue this way, I have a feeling that things that are not good are going to start happening to you. And he said that always ended the situation. Yeah, that's a wonderful verbal way of diffusing instead of being a big bully yourself and trying to dominate. Uh, I think uh, a good example is uh, a lot of police, uh, after uh, the Rodney King affair, when Rodney King was beat up by the police, a lot of police departments started to recognize that police, their, their police force, needs to be trained, needs to learn how to handle escalated situations in a verbal way rather than in a physical way, because it goes back to the fight-flight situation where a police officer who is in a dangerous situation, as they are so frequently, they're going to get pumped up with adrenaline. And when you're pumped up with adrenaline in protecting yourself in, a, in an aggressive, hostile, potentially dangerous situation, you're going to act potentially on that uh, adrenaline. So even when they had Rodney King subdued, there's adrenaline still rushing through your body. And as a result of that, they might act on that rather than the calm response of being able to handle uh, the adrenaline. You know, the fight flight, it, it pumps us up, pumps us up with adrenaline. Calm in our, uh, what's called the parasympathetic system in our body, there's a natural uh, organic system in us that helps us to calm down. So when our flight syndrome goes into effect, we get pumped up. Adrenaline starts flowing through us. 
at some point, that's no longer healthy for the body because it's too much adrenaline, too much blood pumping. And the parasympathetic system goes into effect where it starts relaxing the body, you know, draining the, adre- uh, the adrenaline, letting the blood flow back into its normal system. That's what we want to try to do in our own emotions. So if we could stay calm to bring down the adrenaline, and that's what police departments, a lot of them started doing after the Rodney King affair. They started teaching their force how to stay calm, how to deal with escalated situations in a way that they can cope with their adrenaline, because they are going to get pumped up. And a, an aggressive, violent situation is going to pump anybody up into the fight-flight. So how do you deal with that where you're not overreacting based on the adrenaline and instead recognizing, yeah, I'm pumped up, but I can deal with this rather than act on it? I, I surf, and I remember one day um, after a very, very angry session with a client, uh, at the end of the day I'm out surfing, and I'm in very, very big waves, and this huge wave is coming at me. And I immediately went into that fight-flight syndrome. I, I, my first instinct was, I'm going to take off. I've I got to get out of here, because this wave was like a 25-foot wave. It could crush me. So I'm going to take off. Then I stopped and said, oh, but maybe I, maybe I, could, I could actually ride this thing, which would have killed me, because it wasn't a rideable wave. Then I realized, no, stop examine the situation. How can I handle this without trying to run away, because it would have caught up and crushed me? How can I handle it without trying to attack it and ride it where it would have just smashed me? And instead, I told myself, literally told myself, we've heard all the the ways to do that, count to 10, take deep breaths, whatever works for you as an individual, visualizing something, whatever it is to keep you calm in that moment. Then out of that, I made a, a decision what to do. But I first actually literally told myself, oh, hey, Kevin, stop, stop, figure out what to do first. So a method you use is to talk to yourself out loud. Exactly, and, I, and did literally you, did, did you, that. Did you literally talk out loud, or did oh, you did oh, yeah. think in your head? No, no, I, I, I verbatim, I said, Kevin, stop, because I was just about to take off, and I said, stop. And I literally told myself to stop. I stopped. I looked at the wave. I assessed it very, very quickly. And then what I tried to do then, and successfully, fortunately, was able to swim around it before it crushed on top of me. But I didn't go with my first instinct, which was to just swim away from it, because it would have caught up. I didn't try to just climb on top of it. Instead, I figured out, oh, okay, out of my calmness, I realized I could swim around it and avoid the whole thing. And hence, (laughs) there's your paradigm, avoiding it, trying to avoid the situation when it's imminently turning into violence. And also using this tool of talking to yourself out loud, I'm underlining that because I'm going to be doing a program in the future or more than one on the importance of our talking to ourselves out loud. It isn't for today, but I think it is so important and it's a dimension that we have missed and that we have missed perhaps for hundreds of years because talking to oneself out loud in our society is looked down upon as if you're crazy or you've got (laughs) something wrong, right? Right. And, and yet we miss that tremendous dimension that you were willing to, to use when you, when you were fighting, or not fighting, but dealing with the wave, which is hearing your own voice by talking out Absolutely. loud. Absolutely. Oh, and that works. <laughs> what, what, what are some of the other tools that you personally use to put your anger in check? Because that's one of the things you talk about in the book, the importance right. of checking our own anger yeah. when we're dealing with an angry person, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, that's, uh, and the anger, our own anger is, again, coming out of the fight flight. We're getting angry because... Uh, the store clerk is being yelled at. So the store clerk gets angry. How dare that person call me some horrible name? How does he or she or myself, how do we stop from letting that fight flight overtake us and instead staying calm and dealing with it? 
So one thing for me is, is empathy is so critical. So I immediately say, hey, I know if I didn't get what that person is angry about, I'd be upset too. You know? So if I can understand that that person has a reason to be angry, that will allow me not to go into a fight flight. It'll allow me to stay calm enough to say, okay, I'm going to listen to this person because he or she has a reason to be angry. I'm going to listen. So reminding myself to understand the person's anger. Again, getting back to cognitive, but what happens when both people are, both people are emotionally hurt and therefore both people are emotionally angry? I'm thinking of a situation, say, in a divorce uh, where we have what's called the refrigerator syndrome. You've heard of that, sure. where the people are so hurt and they're therefore so angry that they spend their life savings on lawyers fighting over the refrigerator and the couch. Who's going to get it, right? Absolutely. We call it the refrigerator couch yep. syndrome, right? And oh, they, yeah. they literally go through their life savings that they've worked so hard for and giving it to lawyers to fight over the refrigerator because they are angry, right? Yep. And they're hurt. What then? What do you recommend to these folks who might yeah. be listening, who might be facing sure. one of these situations? Both sides are angry. Yeah. Yep. The very first thing in my mind is to let them know, and I'm dealing with a couple exactly in that situation right now, uh. is not to deal with it in the moment. In that moment, there's anger, there's yelling at each other. It's, you're never going to resolve it in the angry moment. It's not going to happen. Step back from it. Do that timeout thing. Step away, and when you get calm, now you can go into it and say, hey, let's look at this. Let's look at what we're doing to each other. We, have a, we both have a lot of hurt. We both have a lot of reasons to be angry. But in the mix, when they're expressing that anger, it will never get resolved. Uh, so the first thing I do, like with this couple, it's you're not going to resolve it now. They're yelling at each other, so let's take a time out. Let's stop this, step away from it for the moment, and then we can come back and not yell at each other and instead talk about what it is that we need to do so we're not going into that crazy place of the refrigerator. Instead, we're going to be able to express what we're thinking about this, try to keep it on a logical level instead of an emotional level. Uh, so move your, remove yourself from the emotions at that moment, because those emotions are overwhelming, and you're going to get nowhere with it. You have to diffuse in some way. Thomas yeah. Jefferson was a big advocate of breathing. You know right. that, right? Yeah. Take sure. 10 breaths, and if that doesn't work, take 100 breaths. Absolutely. Are you an advocate of breathing? Oh, absolutely. If it works for you. Now, you know, a lot of people, like, I've talked to people about this, and so some people see it as a new age thing that, oh, yeah, that's crazy, and uh, visualizing, you know, that, oh, sure, visualize a nice, calm ocean somewhere, and you'll feel better. So they, they kind of mock or dismiss it. So I would say whatever works for you, if visualization works for you, if counting to 10 works for you, um, if taking a deep breath, all those things have good emotional and physiological reasons. When you take a deep breath, what you're doing is you're, you're putting lungs into yourself. You're, uh, sorry, you're putting air into your lungs, and you're, you're calming your body down instead of hyperventilating. So it has a good physiological effect. So if that works for you, if counting to 10 works for you, because counting to 10 does the same thing, it calms down your physical response. So whatever works for you as an individual, if in that moment you can visualize some pleasant thought or a pleasant image, if that works for you, do it. So for Jefferson, it worked to count to 10 and to count to 10 again and again, because he knew that anything else would be resulting in something coming out of anger or... Uh, an instinctual response instead of a calm response. And he knew for him counting his 10 work. 
So I would say that for anyone. Whatever works for you, whatever you can learn to make it calm, to diffuse the situation before you act on your fight-flight, learn what works for you, and then take care of that. Well, there's a key that you just added, which is it's not just a matter of, of, of use what works for you. It's a matter of learning, yes. as you said, what works yes. for you in advance. Don't wait until the situation to figure out what weight works for you, right? See, and that's exactly it. like with this couple I was talking about. That's then when they can learn in advance. Having learned from what happens in the moment, you move away from it and now learn what it's going to take. So not just in terms of a divorce settlement, but just uh, another couple who are actively working at this. They get angry, they blow up. So what I try to do is the time out, get them quiet. In the quiet, learn now. Let's, let's look at what happened. What made that situation explosive? It blew up. You guys didn't handle this at all. You're screaming at each other. So now that we've calmed down, we've taken a time out, let's look at that situation and learn how you could approach that same situation next time without it blowing up. But use that situation as an example. So when, this, when he does this, that makes you do this, and you do this in response, and he does that, how then can you approach that same situation next time knowing that that's what happens and now learning a new way of approaching that situation? I was working with this one person, and, and he was telling me about how when somebody grabs a parking space that he's trying to get a hold of or cuts him off on the road, he enjoys going after them and yelling and screaming and carrying on because that makes him feel good. What, 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 what do you say to a situation like that where the person is, is purposefully allowing themselves to just in other purpose of people's eyes go crazy you know sure. screaming and yelling over a parking place oh, yeah. because he enjoys it yeah. that person chances are lives outside of that moment lives a fairly calm easygoing life maybe potentially and uses that moment to release all the anger that he is not allowing himself to deal with otherwise yes that's exactly yeah. what there was in this situation yeah yeah so that person then if it were me trying to work with them, I would try to help him recognize that, hey, there, there are some issues that you're, you're, you've got going on that you're not dealing with, and let's see if we can deal with some of those and maybe learn how to deal with those instead of dealing with the what's not being dealt with in the anger that you enjoy when someone cuts you off or takes your parking space. So... You know, we brush our teeth every day, we wash our hands, we go through various, you know, uh, hygiene, physical hygiene uh, regimens. Is there a mental hygiene regimen that you could uh, recommend for sort of cleaning one's anger on a daily or weekly basis and getting some of this stuff out? Yeah, I think that's, that's a very good thought, um, how you do that. You do that in terms of, there's a lot of ways to do that, in terms of your relationships. If you're in a relationship, uh, an honest communication would be so critical to doing that on a regular basis. So uh, another couple who don't communicate well, my, my counsel to them is, you know, every couple of days check in. Because if, when they don't, then there's always something that's eating away at one of them that results at some point later an explosion, an emotional, volatile situation that might not even have anything to do with the original source of what was eating away at the person, but now comes out a couple of days later. And again, in not, not connected to the original source. So I see that with them. And I say, okay, why don't you check in every couple of days? Be honest with each other. Just, just sit and talk and share things, even small little things. 
because by being honest with those small little things, you are going to learn how not to let those small little things build up into uh, a final explosion. So that would be one healthy way for uh, the individual and the couple to learn how to deal with the little bits of anger in an honest way because they can deal with the little bits of anger. It's when they become big and unmanageable that they explode. So if they could learn to be honest on a daily level and even do it by saying, okay, we're going to check in every day. When we get home from work, we're tired, we're going to relax. And then at some point, though, we're going to say, hey, let's just check in. Yeah, and and, and that sounds like a great thing for couples to do. I'm, I'm wondering about people who have accumulations. I mean, should... Where where can they safely go? What's a safe place to express? Should we have a, a, a anger bars or anger <laughs> anger emporiums or some place where people can go and sure. yell and get it out yeah. or, or punching bags? And, right. You know, I remember years ago we uh, when I used to, I was traveling around the country doing group therapy seminars. I used to travel with a plastic baseball bat, and people you know I'd have them beat on pillows with the bat and make loud noises, yeah. and that was effective. But it didn't seem to go anywhere. Eventually, no. that that died out. Well, I think there's a reason for that, is that you're absolutely right. That was the mentality, that was the approach, the philosophy back then. And I think we've learned, and this is particularly what I'm addressing in the book, that there are different stages of anger. And as a result, someone who's just frustrated, had a bad day, if they could just let out some of their anger, they're going to feel better. That's wonderful. But people in more intense stages of anger, a punching bag actually makes them even angrier. And that's what we didn't realize in the past when we suggested a punching bag. So you give a, a sociopath a punching bag, that's going to make him more crazy. He's going to get his juices up, his exactly. blood pressure up, his heart rate up. He's going to walk out of your office and ready to jump out on the highway and push somebody off the right. cliff. Huh? So give him that plastic bat. He's, he, he's like your guy you're talking about who enjoys the, the road rage. He's going to enjoy that plastic bat. It's not going to be a catharsis. It's not going to be a venting of his frustration. It's going to be an exacerbating of his anger. So I think we learned that lesson and now it's it's you know it's it's a punching bag is great for someone who's had a tough day and is just frustrated. And instead of a punching bag whatever it is the expression you go to the gym at the end of the day you work out you go for a swim go for a run you feel better. That's great. But if there's hostility involved if it's at that more intense level of anger that's not going to help you that's just going to exacerbate it. We're coming to the end of the of the uh, program, uh, of our part two of a series with Dr. Kevin Photo on diffusing angry people. Any last minute tip that you want to leave the uh, our listeners with? Yeah, I, I think um, going back to your thought of how to stay or find a regime, find some kind of ritual, whatever it is, do that that helps you. As I said, be healthy in a in a relationship, but also healthy as an individual. When you see patterns like this guy used as an example, who would uh, get angry and enjoy the anger about road rage. When you see patterns of that, be honest with it, recognize it, and know that it means something on a deeper level. Then start dealing with that. So look at your life, the, the whole thing of the, the, how important it is to live the examined life. Be honest with yourself, and then you can be more honest in dealing with uh, potentially angry issues or painful issues that are expressed in anger. Uh, so that would be my final thought. Yes, I think that's a great thought, Kevin, and I want to thank you, Dr. Kevin Photo, for being with us today. His book is called Diffusing Angry People, Practical Tools for Handling Bullying, Threats, and Violence. You want to get this book and, and, uh, and use it from time to time. The bottom line of what I'm getting from you, Kevin, is that 
working with anger, diffusing angry people is a tool, it's a skill, and it's something we want to practice beforehand, not in the very crisis situation. You don't want to wait till three o'clock in the morning to deal with your car breaking down. You want to fix it before it happens. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I wish you a wonderful trip and a safe trip to I, Jordan. I appreciate and that. I, and your, my thoughts will be with you and, and, uh, and, and look forward to your coming back safely. Thank you kindly. And, and thank you all for listening to today's broadcast.